This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, my name is Jan and you are listening to the Langpreneur podcast. I'm talking to you from the Langpreneur headquarters, aka my house. And today, yeah, we have another guest for you. You guessed it. His name is Paul Jorgensen from the uh, the Langfocus channel, Langfocus YouTube channel. Um, Paul recently hit 1 million subscribers. And I thought one way to, you know, a nice way to celebrate his achievement is by actually doing an interview with him and uh, spreading, you know, Paul's story, all the lessons that he has learned building his channel with you guys here so for those of you who are not familiar with what Langfocus is um, Langfocus is not just about one language it's also not a polyglot channel it's um, yeah Langfocus really focuses on the history culture the spread and the linguistics of world's many languages he has videos on wow so many like, like videos on, on Frisian, the differences between Estonian and Finnish, um, differences between Russian and Ukrainian, Italian dialects. Um, it's really impressive how in-depth and how well-researched his videos are. So in the interview today, we're going to learn about Paul, his background story, how and why he started with Langfocus, um, you know, his number, Paul's number one YouTube fear how to deal with haters, and um, yeah, he's going to share some other tips that you need to know as a Langpreneur or as an aspiring Langpreneur. So without further ado, let's get started. Here is my interview with Paul of Langfocus. Enjoy. Hey Paul, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do with Langfocus. Yeah, thanks, Jan. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, I run a YouTube channel called Langfocus, which recently reached about a million subscribers. So it's you know doing well in some ways. Um, it's a, a channel that's basically about languages in general. It's called Langfocus because I focus on languages. I don't really focus on you know myself too much or that kind of thing. I try to focus on the languages themselves and languages in general, and linguistics as well. Um, so it's something that I think um, a lot of people who are not really even into languages that much can get into if they're interested in other things like the history and you know culture and different countries, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's different than the YouTube channels a lot of Langpreneurs have. It's not focused on just one language and teaching that language. It's basically about the languages of the world and linguistics. Yeah. Do you have a background in linguistics? Tell us a little bit about your, yourself, your background. Well, I'm not a professional linguist. Uh, at least I wouldn't define myself like that. I have some background in linguistics. Um, my first university degree was in English language and linguistics. So basically half of my courses were in the English department, but not literature. They were focused on language, like uh, grammar and history of English and the linguistics of English. And the other half of my courses were in the linguistics department. So we learned about, you know, generative grammar, syntax, phonetics, that sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, I've used 
linguistics in my work since then. And I've read books and articles on linguistics constantly since I graduated from university. So yeah, I have some background in it, but it's not really my, um, I'm not a professional linguist per se. So what do you study at university then? Well, my major was English language. Okay. Yeah. So basically I studied English language because I was interested in traveling and I wanted to teach around the world. And at that point in my life, I didn't really have a concept of how much money English teachers earn or that kind of thing. I just thought, okay, I can live in other countries and I can earn a living that way, teaching English. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. So that's what I did. So is, is that also what you did eventually, like travel to all the countries and teach English? Uh, well, I've only really lived in one country for an extended period of time, and that's Japan. I've lived here for, um, for quite a few years. Mm. So how did you, why did you end up in Japan and not somewhere else or saying that you, you're from Canada originally, right? Yeah, I'm from Canada. Um, in university, I got, I mean, in high school and then at the beginning of my university years, I got interested in cultures and traveling in general. Mm-hmm. So in university, when I was majoring in English, I also minored in religious studies, basically because I was interested in Semitic languages. I mm. got interested in Hebrew and I yeah. took biblical Hebrew and Aramaic. Mm. And I spent a couple of summers in Israel studying modern Hebrew mm. and also dabbled in Arabic on the side um, and used Arabic when I was traveling in Jordan and Egypt and in the Palestinian territories. Um, so basically I was learning Hebrew and Arabic and that was sort of the start of my passion for languages, I think. Yeah. I got into languages because I loved cultures and traveling. And then during uh, my third year of university, I think, I had a chance to visit Japan and fell in love with the place and then started studying Japanese as well. And that's how I eventually ended up here. I see. And what do you do in Japan when you moved there? Uh, well, I came here as an English teacher and I did that for quite a few years. And now I still teach, but I teach at the university level. When yeah. I first arrived, I was teaching at like a language institute, mm. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I did have a couple of years when I, I stopped teaching and focused more on um, internet business. So I was doing an online business or a series of very small online businesses back around 10, 12 years ago. Um, and so it was focused on SEO and making little websites that get a lot of traffic from Google and yeah. I make money from advertising and affiliate marketing and that yeah. kind of thing. So that worked mm-hmm. out for a while, but mm. yeah, the, I think the quality was not there. So ultimately those websites failed and I had to make something better later on. So. And you were more passionate for, for languages or not? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I was really trying to create little businesses that would be on autopilot and I wouldn't have to do much to maintain. But since then I've realized it, it, you can do a lot better if you focus on what you're passionate about, because then you have the, the energy to maintain the effort and be mm-hmm. consistent. If you're, if you're making a business about something you're not really in love with, you're just going to, to give up every time it gets difficult. Yeah. And that's what not happened with, with, with Lang Focus. So tell us a little bit about how you got started with Lang Focus. Like what inspired you to start the YouTube channel? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I love languages and linguistics. Uh, that's my passion, or at least one of my main passions. And I think I started the channel out of frustration with teaching English in Japan, um, because uh, as a lot of people teaching here would tell you, it can be frustrating. And even as much as you try to be a professional and try to get results from the students, there are often a lot of obstacles in your way that prevent you from doing your best. Um, so you just feel like you hit a wall or you hit a ceiling or whatever the best metaphor is. Um, so back in 2015, I started brainstorming things I could do using my passion um, to do something bigger, right? Yeah. To do something bigger and something more fulfilling mm. that's still related and still focused on, you know, what I'm passionate about and still mm. related to education, still related to languages, but something that's not going to be limited. Uh, and something that I can control. Yeah. And then that's when you came up with the idea to start a channel called Lang Focus. Like, was the idea, has the idea of the channel changed over time or has the format of the videos been very consistent over the last five years? Yeah, it, it's changed a little bit. Um, in the early days, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with it. Um, I knew I wanted to make a channel about languages in some way, but I didn't quite know what to do. Like, there were other channels at the time, polyglot channels, like... Um, Benny from Fluent in Three Months. He was probably the, the most famous one at the time. Yeah. Um, so I knew, I knew his channel. And I knew, I knew about channels that were teaching one particular language. Like I was a fan of, of Maha Yaqub from yeah. uh, Learn Arabic with Maha. Mm -hmm. And she was one of the people who inspired me to start. But I didn't know what I was going to do because yeah. I wasn't focused on only one language. But I didn't feel like I was a polyglot who could kind of show off my advanced polyglot skills. I felt kind of like, a, you know, not good enough to do that. So I thought, okay, what can I do? So in the beginning, it was a little bit like a polyglot channel. I would show myself learning languages and things like that. Um, but then I started changing the direction and making it more like sort of a documentary style. Yeah. Um, creating like um something like the discovery channel about languages, yeah. right? That was sort of the, the idea I had. And I tried a couple of videos like that and those worked well. And I enjoyed making them because I got to research things and learn about these topics yeah. um, and learn about whatever I wanted. And then I could build an audience doing that. So the same thing here, like it was really a matter of trying different things, trying different kind of video formats. And then you, you saw that like the format that, that you're using now worked really well. I double down on that. Yeah, I, I realized that the audience liked that, or at least it attracted a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and it was interesting for me. So it just felt like a fit. Um, I don't feel I'm completely like dedicated only to that style of video, but that's, I guess that's my flagship style of video that has worked out. Yeah. How do One you... One thing about it... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, um... I mean, one thing that's good about it is that I'm covering lots of different topics. So that means people who are interested in all of those different topics find my channel yeah. because a lot of those topics are searchable. Mm -hmm. People search for the French language. They search for the Greek language. And what, no matter what they're searching for, they'll, there's a, a good chance they'll find one of my videos and then sort of enter 
the that pool of people who form the audience. Yeah. So just for the people who haven't watched your videos yet, I mean, I find it hard to describe, but it's basically like you show how how a language work, works, right? So I remember that like a few months ago, I'm not sure when it was, like you did a video on like Italian dialects or on Frisian, like a Dutch mm-hmm. dialect. And you really show really well, like how the language works and you go into the linguistics and you, you show how the grammar works and you give all these examples and it's very well researched. I mean, I'm Dutch. I, I didn't know the things about Frisian. So what I'm wondering is like, how do you, how do you know all this stuff? Like, do you, do you speak many languages yourself or how can you, how do you create those videos? Well, yeah, I do speak a few languages myself, but uh, myself, excuse me. Um, but I don't speak a hundred of them like some people imagine when they watch <laughs> my videos. Right? Um, most of the video, the, most of the languages I make videos about are just languages I I look into or examine for the video, or maybe I know some basic information about it, but I want to learn more, so I make a video about it. Um, I think I think that style of video sort of suits my talents. I think I'm just naturally the kind of person who digs really deep into things. Um, I have that ability to sort of tune out my environment and just research and just stick with something for like a hundred hours or 200 hours or however long it takes to finish it. Um, So I just go really deep and I keep finding more sources and I look for, um, for journals online. I look for books in Google books. Um, I find, you know, magazine articles. I, I use some language learning books either that I have at home or that I can yeah. find digital copies of. I just keep digging and finding more information until I'm kind of satisfied that I've answered all my questions about the language. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing the script at the same time while I'm doing that. I'm just yeah. sort of digging and finding all the pieces I need to put the script together. You have like a fixed format for the script. Like first you have an introduction and you talk about the grammar and then about the, the, the syntax and then sentence order and, or, or not really. Kind of. I have a, just a very basic outline. Like in the beginning, I normally talk about some basic um, background information about the language, like how many people speak it, where it's spoken, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Then I go into the history of the language and how it, how it developed. Um, and then I go into the features. But when I talk about the features, I haven't really um, developed a system or a template for that. I kind of wing it every time mm-hmm. because every language is a little different. Um, it depends yeah, what, on what I want to emphasize and, and what I think stands out most about the language. Mm-hmm. But if I don't have a template for it, that makes it harder to create the video. So I probably mm-hmm. should create a template for, the, for that section as well. How much time does it take to create a video? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> you don't want to know, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I overdo it really. I mean, anyone who knows me will, will know that I overdo it and that I, uh, I seem overwhelmed or stressed out by it. And that I'm kind of always looking for ways to make it simpler and probably no one forces me to make it that detailed or to take that much time, but I sort of do it to myself, I guess. So I often spend like three or four weeks of constant work to make a video 
Um, so if I total up the number of hours, sometimes it's even like 200 hours or something. Really? It's crazy. Whoa. Um, it's not necessary. I mean, for yeah. people listening who want to start a YouTube channel, like don't freak out and think, oh my God, I don't have 200 hours to spend on a video. Like that's just my own neurosis, I guess. I, I do too much and yeah. can never stop myself. So <laughs> but there so, are a lot, there are channels out there that spend way less time than that. And they do as well as I do. So how much, like how much time do you, like of those 200 hours, like what percentage do you spend on research and, and video editing, for example? Um, it's at least, it's usually a, a week or so of research. So it's probably, you know, a few dozen hours on research, like 50 hours or something. Uh, and then after that, I, I finish up the script and then I film it and then do the editing. And then I also, um, consult with the people who help out with the video. Like I usually get a native speaker of a language to record the audio samples mm -hmm. and to look over my script or to look over the example sentences and give me feedback about them because sometimes they're not um, perfect. So they tell me what I can uh, improve and then yeah. they record the sentences. So yeah. And then I, I finish up the editing and all of that together just takes a few weeks for a, a typical language profile video. Yeah. A video like um, the French language. Like if a video covers a whole language, then it takes a long, a long time like that. Um, if it's like a, a video focused on a more narrow topic, um, for example, like if it's French slang, like that, that would be, uh, that wouldn't take as long to make because it's not, it's not as all encompassing. Mm -hmm. How do you know on, on which topics you to create videos? Like, do you do keyword research or just you create the videos that you like? Or how do you do? Um, so it's mainly based on, interest and in what I really want to do, but that's balanced with what I think it will, will do well. Hmm. I don't really do keyword research uh, for the topics. I don't uh, like, I don't um, find specific long tail keywords to target and that kind of thing. Hmm. I just have a general sense of which languages are more popular than others. Like I know yeah. more people are into Spanish or French than Swahili, for example, yeah. you know, so that kind of determines what videos I do, yeah. but the overriding factor is like, what's going to be interesting enough to put that much work into. Yeah. Sometimes also videos on like languages that are not popular at all still perform very well, right? Like videos on, I'm not sure if they were popular, but I think you also did videos on like Finnish, for example, or well, Frisian, we gave as an example, Italian dialects. Um, maybe you can give a few other examples. Like, is it always that the more popular the language the more views it gets or has it also to do something with curiosity maybe like people don't know what frisian is so they just click yeah. anyway yeah it's it's partly it's partly to do with which languages people study the most but also there are languages that are related to those i guess or mm -hmm. you know whether they're related linguistically or geographically mm -hmm. like frisian is not a widely spoken language or a widely studied language, but because it's spoken in Europe, a lot of people in Europe are interested in it and they've heard of it and know something about it. And because it's related to English, a lot of people want to see it mm. because it's related to English. So it's the popular languages and then languages that are connected to them that tend to do the best um, usually. But it, languages of Europe and languages of East Asia 
and maybe the Middle East tend to do the best. Um, languages of Africa or languages of Southeast Asia, for example, or the Pacific, uh, don't tend to do very well. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. So what, what kind of videos did very well, um, of which you maybe did not expect them to, to go viral? Um, let's see, ones that, uh, well, one of them was Basque, I guess. Yeah. That yeah. was probably my first experience with uh, a video blowing up uh, it, you know, in an unexpected way. That one really did well. And that was when I didn't really have that many followers. Um, yeah, that was back in 2016. And that one did really well, really quickly and spread, um, I guess, throughout the Basque region because they're really proud of their, their language. And um, yeah, I think just people shared that on social media, on, on Facebook, on Twitter, and that one got really big. How is, for the size of my channel, it's not that big. It has a couple million views, but you know, at the time, it seemed like a lot. Yeah. How has growth, like has growth on YouTube always been stable for you? Or has have there been certain moments where, you, where you've seen peaks? Or tell us a little bit about the, uh, yeah, the growth of the channel and everything you learned from, from that. Yeah, I mean, this, this is one of the, the areas where I know that my, my way of creating content is not necessarily the best um, because my number of subscribers has consistently increased but the number of views really hasn't increased that much. Um, and I know that's partly because when you don't release videos frequently enough, you lose some engagement. Mm -hmm. um, so basically over the past two or three years, I, I've gained maybe 10% the number of views, but I've quadrupled the number of subscribers. So, mm. so the number of subscribers isn't really very important. Uh, it's more important to have engagement um, and I guess I, I do that to some extent, but I have a core audience that really loves my style of videos, no matter what topic I cover. So I do have some engagement with the core audience all the time, but I lose a lot of the, the audience members who aren't really so into my videos. People who are only into one language sort of tend to vanish because they're not getting updated enough, I think. So that's, that's where you can sort of, you have to balance like, should I make these videos really good and spend lots of time making them or should I make them kind of just good enough and put them out all the time? Yeah. Yeah. So are there, like, do you have any tips or advice for people who want to start a YouTube channel? Like what are some of the most important lessons that you have learned over well, the last five years building LangFocus? Um, let's see the most important lessons, I guess. I mean, one thing is just getting started and sticking with it in the beginning. Um, most people never make it past the first few months because they get no feedback at first. So at the beginning, you really just need to, you basically need to have blind faith that it's going to work and just trick your mind into believing it's going to work. Because if you need proof, like if you need to get like comments under your videos and you need a lot of people to like the video, you'll be disappointed at first because uh, probably the first um, first six months of my channel, I think I, how many, uh, how many subscribers did I get? Maybe 50, the first six months. Now I have a million, right? So people can't imagine that. The first six months, I got 50 subscribers. Like the first maybe 10 videos I made, 
had like one or two comments. Most people will give up because they can't imagine that that's ever going to grow into something big. Um, but yeah, I just had blind faith. I mean, the way I think about numbers like that is if I can get one comment, I can get a thousand. I just need, need more people to see it. I just need to, need to do more of the same. And if I make $1 this month from AdSense revenue, I can make a thousand. I just need to do more and just get more attention to it. Um, I think you really have to just think about it like that. Another thing is just the, the fear of putting out content. Like I still have this. You never get over the fear of putting out content. And the bigger your audience gets, the more you fear putting out content. I mean, it gets, that gets stronger. But you just need to sort of reframe it in your mind. Um, I mean, when I was starting, I read a book called The Everything Store. It's a book about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. Say what you will about Jeff Bezos. I know um, there's lots of things you can critique about him um, and his company. One thing that stuck with me from the growth of Amazon and Jeff Bezos's approach was the idea of iterations, which it basically means you put out a product just as soon as you have the most basic product you can put out and don't worry about whether it's perfect. And then you create a new version and a new version and a new version and you just get feedback about each version, and then you put out a better version each time. Um, so reading about the Kindle and how the first Kindles were not very good, um, but then they put out another version, another version, and each version is an iteration, right? And that's what they call them. Um, that sort of made me think about my videos. Like, okay, the first video is going to suck. There's no way it's going to be good. So I have to accept that and then learn from it, just put out a better one and make each one better than the last one. Um, so that, uh, that sort of releases the pressure from you. Most people want to come straight out of the gates making like the best content they can, but you can't, you have to make sort of beginner content first. You have to start making content and learn how to do it. Yeah. And if you do it like that, if you think about the content in terms of iterations, then when you look back on the older videos, you don't freak out because it's like a, a document of how you've improved. Yeah. If you look back at your first video and it's embarrassing, it's, that's okay. Cause you, you have that, you have that um, idea of iterations in mind. It's like, wow, look how much I've, uh, look how much I've learned since then. Look how far yeah. I've come. Then it's something you can feel good about rather than being embarrassed about it. Yeah. Well, I, I like that philosophy. Um, so is that the number one fear that you have when you put out new videos like that? The video is not good enough or. Yeah. That it's not good enough or that, um, or that people will find something about it to criticize. Um, you know, people love to point out imperfections in videos. Hmm. Um, and that's something you kind of have to expect, I guess. Um, that can be hard when people, find stuff. I mean, often it's not even something wrong with the video. It's just there's people like to criticize things so they can find something that's maybe not explained perfectly, even though they know it's pretty much correct. And then they yep. can spin it to make it look like a big mistake. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm always like going over the videos looking for things I can, uh, I can say more precisely or, you know, I'm, I'm looking for mistakes or anything that can be presented as a mistake. So that's, uh, that's kind of my biggest fear when I put out a video, I guess. Yeah. Because also I know, things, yeah. No sorry, also maybe things that could offend someone, 
right? Like a lot of people get very sensitive about languages because it's part of their identity. So I get a lot of comments like, um, like, how dare you say that about our language? Even though I didn't say anything offensive, it's just that maybe one word in that sentence touched a nerve somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I get a lot of comments like that from nationalistic people and that sort of thing uh, who can be triggered by one word that they think has contains the wrong frame about their language, I guess. Yeah. So I, I know many people who want to start a YouTube channel or a podcast or, you know, any kind of platform, but they, you know, they're afraid to get criticism and you know, trolls, haters. Do you have experience with, with haters, for example, and how do you deal with them? Um, I get, I get some haters, like by haters, I guess you mean just people who don't like that. The creator don't like personally. You. Yeah. I guess yeah, that's I get that. the most unpleasant thing to to read, right? Like when people attack you personally. Yeah. I mean, I get people insulting my appearance and that sort of thing, or people try to psychoanalyze you and they'll, they'll say things like, like you, you look insecure. You obviously know nothing about this topic. <laughs> and um, usually the, you know, the actual haters like that, they're not really critiquing anything. They're just, they just like to create noise. Um, so that kind of hate doesn't bother me that much because it's, it's not really related to my self-image. Like if they say, like, you have no idea what you're talking about. It's obvious and this kind of thing, or you know, you're, you're totally ignorant. You don't even speak languages in your videos. You always speak English. Like if they say that kind of thing, I don't care because I know who I am. Yeah. That's not who I am. Um, but the, the stuff that bugs me the most is when, um, when they say like, you're wrong, you didn't do any research. <laughs> oh, like, really? <laughs> do some research next time. This video is completely wrong. Like that kind of thing. That kind of, that's what, um, bothers me the most because that's oh, really? the complete opposite of, of what I do, right? Like I, <laughs> I research a ton and I, I really put tons of effort in. Um, but I mean, you'll always get comments from people like that and you can just ignore them. If you ignore them, they sort of, their comment disappears, right? It just gets lost in the mix. If you respond to them, it gets worse because then there's more attention on your comment your comment sort of rises to the top, more people notice it. If you just ignore it, then it tends to go away. Um, yeah, I mean, in the, in the past, it's gotten bad a few times. It got bad. It, was, it wasn't like the people who hated me personally. It was more like people who are angry for nationalistic reasons. Like I made, maybe I shouldn't say what language it was, but I made a video about a certain language and speakers of that language have um, a country, a government that doesn't like them, let's say. And nationalistic people from that country really freaked out and got angry at me. Like, how dare you make a video about our enemy's language? That's oh, basically okay. yeah. what they're saying. And I got, I got some threats and I got a lot of, <laughs> really? you know, angry, violent messages and comments. Um, so that was the, I mean, this happened a couple of times, but one time in particular was kind of scary. And to be honest, I might not even be able to visit that country. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, I won't say too much about that, but uh, well, I'll find out when I try to get a visa there. But I've had some people tip me off that maybe I can't visit that country. Um, 
Yeah. So personally, I mean, the way I dealt with it, with that stress was by basically, how should I say it? Um, sort of creating a, a barrier around myself, I guess, like, um, like thinking of it as an inner circle. Like I've got my close friends, I've got my wife, I've got my family. Those are the people who really matter, like inside my inner circle. And everyone outside of that is sort of, you know, I can take it or leave it if they're on my side, good, but they're sort of out there as part of the, the outside world. So I really only focus on the inner circle and what they think of me. Um, those are the people who are most important in my life. And if I have them, then the outside noise doesn't really affect me so much. Yeah. So, so, so like your number one strategy with haters is to, you know, if you see any hate comments is by just ignoring them or to just ignore them. Ideally. Um, I mean, I'm not, not perfect. Yeah. I ignore 99 out of a hundred of them, but I might respond to one of those hundred and that, uh, you know, people notice that, uh, yeah, I try not to respond, but sometimes I snap back at them, which I shouldn't do. So, so what will you say to someone who wants to start a YouTube channel, but he or she hasn't started yet because the person is afraid to get negative feedback? Well, I mean, if online, basically negative feedback is amplified, right? It seems bigger than it is. Um, I think just everything online, everything on social media seems bigger than it is. When I go outside, nobody even knows who I am, right? <laughs> I have a million subscribers, you, but that doesn't mean anything because that's distributed across the whole world. In this neighborhood, maybe there's like one person who knows who I am. So when I go outside, no one recognizes me. No one has seen my content. No one has seen the comments against me that I... But when you look at Twitter or something, it feels like everyone in the world has seen that hate comment. So it can seem a lot bigger and more stressful than it should. Mm -hmm. But just remember, I mean, everyone's on social media these days. No one really pays attention to the other people and what people are saying about them. It's all just sort of part of this big bunch of noise out there. Yeah. So don't take it too seriously, I guess. And that's advice for myself too, not only for other people. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you sometimes, like, have you ever been recognized or not at all? I mean, your videos are in English and you live in Japan. So maybe Japan is your biggest uh, demographic or has it happened? Um, I don't have a lot of um, viewers from Japan, really. And that's because, because um, most people don't speak English that well here. Yeah. Um, there are some videos that have subtitles in Japanese some uh, captions in Japanese. So some people have seen some of them, but the people mm -hmm. who recognize me here are mostly foreigners. Mm -hmm. um, but amongst the foreigners here, a lot do recognize me, it seems. Usually they just look at me. They don't usually talk to me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, occasionally people approach me and, and say, hey, hey, you're Paul. And, and oh, really? have a have a chat. Yeah, it's, it happens. Yeah, it, it depends how much I go out. These days I don't go out because of the coronavirus, but... Um, when, when I go out, if there are a lot of foreigners around, there might be someone who recognizes me. Yeah, that's cool. And that's like the overall feedback that you get from them is positive. Yeah, no one's ever approached me saying anything negative. Never. <laughs> well, Probably like how many people have approached me in public? Maybe a few dozen over a few years. 
like maybe 40 or 50 or something over like five years. So that's like 10 a year or something. None of them have said anything negative. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about the business monetization. I mean, um, you run AdSense, if I'm not mistaken. Like, is, is that something that you can live off if you have a million subscribers or does this really depend on, on the niche or like how has, uh, yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about the monetization experience yeah. with your channel okay. so far. Yeah, so I, I've monetized with AdSense and I also have a Patreon account, oh, yeah. which means you get basically monthly supporters who support your content with a certain amount every month. Um, and then I do some affiliate marketing as well, mm -hmm. um, which is more of a new thing for me. I've done a little bit, but I'm starting to do more. Mm -hmm. I, I, I make enough to, to earn a living from AdSense, at least in Japan. Like in Japan, the cost of living isn't as high as in Europe or in America or whatever. Um, I make enough to get by. It's not enough. It's not like, it's not a lot. Let's put it that way. And I know people who are making a lot more from, from their own products or affiliate marketing or that kind of thing than they are from AdSense. And some people make a lot more than me with a much smaller audience and a smaller number of views. Mm -hmm. um, so AdSense earnings depend on the number of views, not the number of subscribers. Yeah, yeah. So I have a million subscribers, but I don't get tons of views because I only release one or two videos a month oh, because yeah. it takes a long time to make them. Yeah. So I get, you know, a few thousand dollars a month from AdSense and then I get some from Patreon. Um, but in the language niche, you don't really get that much for AdSense um, revenue. Mm -hmm. like it, if you're in a different niche, you might. Like if you're doing financial advice, you would get yeah. a really high rate yeah. of AdSense. You, you would get a high CPM. Yeah. Like the amount of money you get per thousand views would probably yeah. be times five what I get. Yeah. Or for technology, maybe like tech reviews or something like that. It would be a lot higher. But yeah. for languages, most people don't really, uh, they don't buy as much. They don't spend as much, I guess. Yeah. So the commercial yeah. intent is lower. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Patreon because we have never talked about Patreon on the podcast. Um, is that something that you would recommend to other YouTubers or like tell us a bit about your experience with uh, Patreon? Yeah, I mean, Patreon is really, it's a way for your, your hardcore fans to support you if you don't have any products or anything like that. And um, I think they, they like to do that if they're your hardcore fans. But there's only like a small number of people who, who, really want to support you that way. Um, so I, I think I have about 500 supporters on Patreon, uh, 500 out of a million people support mm -hmm. me. So it's not that many people, but it's a few dollars per person uh, on average. So it's, it, it's, um, yeah, it's a good way to supplement your income. I could make a lot more from it if I made more frequent content that's sort of the trouble with my infrequent releases. If I made a video like three times a week, for example, then I could save some of them as bonus videos and put them on Patreon. They yeah. could be Patreon exclusives. And then I think a lot more people would sign up rather than just being the, the hardcore fans. It would be anyone who wants the extra videos. They would yeah. sign up too, but I can't really do that because it takes me so long to make a video. Yeah at least in the way I currently make videos. I want to change that, you know, yeah. in some ways. Um, but yeah, if you make more videos, it, it can be a good way to get a good income, I think. Yeah. Some people have a much higher 
um, income from Patreon than I do. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that someone supports you on Patreon in return, they get something like extra videos or bonus materials or is that how it usually works? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the main ways people get people to sign up. Mm -hmm. You can offer some sort of benefit or perk of subscribing at a certain tier. So on Patreon, you can choose how much people can support you per month. So on my channel, people can pledge a dollar or $2 or $5 or $20 plus. So for each tier, there's a different benefit. Like if they, if they pledge $5 a month, then their name is in the description of the video. If they mm -hmm. pledge like 20 or more, then I put their name in the video on yeah. like a, a closing screen. It lists all of their names. Mm -hmm. um, and also for people who pay $5 or more, I, I have a, a private forum and they can join the private forum. Yeah, That's something I've added recently. Um, but it seems like the, the best way to get people on board is to have bonus videos or some kind of bonus content that's only for Patreon supporters. Yeah. Um, now, if you, for our listeners, if you have a YouTube channel where you teach something very specific, I don't know, Japanese for beginners, you know, it's quite easy to figure out how you can make money with the YouTube channel, right? Because if people consume videos that are aimed for beginners in Japanese, you can just create a Japanese course, right? And this can be, you know, can be about, can be a pronunciation course, a grammar course, or just... Uh, a beginner's course for Japanese learners in, in general. It's a good way to start. If you have a YouTube channel where you talk about all kinds of languages, and this is also uh, the case for Paul, it's a bit more tricky to figure out what the people actually want. Paul, do you have any, any tips or, you know, do you want to share some of the things that you've learned about monetizations or about how you can monetize your channel in a more effective way eventually um, with our audience? Some of the things like what, what, what are some of the things that you can, you can do, but also other people who have a more like a mixed audience? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that people who are doing this successfully are doing is building email lists. Like mm -hmm. that's, you know, really the number one thing that successful online businesses do. They build an email list of people who subscribe to their newsletter or whatever. And then you can send them uh, emails promoting your courses or promoting affiliate products and that kind of thing. So lately I've started building an email list and when people sign up for the email list, well, like to, to get them to sign up, I offer a free video course about vocabulary building strategies. So they sign up, they get those downloadable videos and then uh, I send them just update emails, emails with stories about language learning or tips for language learning, that kind of thing. Um, but when they sign up for the list, I ask them to write what language they're interested in. Like they can choose the language they're most interested in. So now I have sort of a, uh, I have like data that shows me what percentage of my audience is interested in Japanese or French or Spanish or whatever language they're into. Um, then I can sort of, I guess I can target my, I can target my offers towards them. I can yeah. send individual affiliate offers to them. Yeah. Like to people who, who, you know, who are interested in that language. Um, or I can decide to make a course focusing on one particular language and see if it, see how it does. Yeah. But also you can ask them, right. I've yeah. asked the audience like what kind of things they would be interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, the first answer, the first time I did that, I got lots of random answers, just 
all sorts of different answers. So the second time I asked more specifically, like, what are you frustrated with about language learning or what's your greatest um, frustration? And I got some more focused answers like people saying, I can't remember vocabulary or I can reach an inter intermediate level, but I can't get to an advanced level or like a near native level, that kind of thing. So asking the audience has given me some more ideas about yeah. thing, you know, things I can create courses about. So creating a course, something I want to do. In the meantime, I'm promoting affiliate offers, yeah. affiliate products. Okay, well, so that's really useful for our audience to know. So if you are listening and you have, you know, if you have a wider audience, I guess the place to start is by just collecting email addresses, right? Because then you have a list that you can survey. You can figure out what it is they want. What languages are they interested in? What are the current levels? What, what do they struggle with? And then you have a really good place to start, right? And even if you have like, even if your audience is interested in like 10 different languages, it doesn't mean that you need to create courses for all those 10 languages. I mean, it's a lot of work to create a course, right? But instead, just like Paul said, you can just um, promote affiliate products, for example. Um, so yeah, that's probably a good way to start. And then you can also see what people buy. And if it turns out that, you know, that, that the affiliate offer that you send out to um, intermediate students of Japanese, if that's working really well, then you can maybe think about, okay, if they're willing to buy this from my affiliate, or from the company that I, that I promote, then maybe I can also create something, you know, a course um, that solves the same problem, essentially, myself. And uh, yeah, you will also see that once you start creating courses yourself, the conversion rates will be higher because people buy directly from you, the person that they trust and, and want to learn from, right? Um, yeah. Well, okay, Paul, thank you. Um, any other things you want to share with our audience before we wrap up this interview? about building a YouTube channel, internet business, um, languages, um, anything you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the main thing about building a successful channel is to be consistent and to just never stop, right? Just make, make a video, I mean, every week if you can, or, you know, I make videos every two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or something, but just keep making them like make, make one video, then start the next one. Just make it part of your routine, make it the thing you do. Um, and just don't stop because most people give up because they don't get enough feedback or they get a successful video and they chill out and then people are waiting for the next one and lose engagement with the channel. So just keep making it and it starts to snowball after a while. Like in the, in the second year of building my channel, things just started to grow like faster than they had been. And it wasn't quite, quite excuse me, it wasn't quite clear what caused that. But if you're consistent, it starts to build, then it starts to increase parabolically at some point. So stick with it until something happens. At the same time, you can make adjustments. If something's not working, you can, you know, you can change the content of the video or you can change the style of videos or whatever, but just keep making content and putting things out there and then you'll you'll see what works and what doesn't but you never know until you put out enough content to start getting reactions so yeah. stick with it well thank you for uh, the motivational words and yeah i think it was really interesting that you mentioned that even after the first or was it five months or something you only had 50 subscribers I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, everyone would have given up at that time. Right. But I think, you know, here you can see that if you're really passionate about something, 
and you just keep going. Eventually, you can have a channel of with a million subscribers, maybe two million in a, in a year or in a few years from now. Who knows? Um, we will be following you, Paul. Um, where where can we get in touch with you or follow your work? Well, the main hub, I guess, is my YouTube channel, but also there's langfocus.com. That's where uh, I post blog content and other things. And then Instagram as well. Uh, not Twitter. I don't really like Twitter, but <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. It's just langfocus. And um, yeah, if you send me a message on Instagram, I'll probably see it and, uh, and reply to you. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Jan. Thanks for having me. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.